Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. So how you doing, John? I'm great, Jimmy. I have one week left of summer vacation. Nice. It went fast. Stash is looking good, brother. Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm growing out the uh, the Watson, I guess you could say. Great. So does that mean I have to have a constant five o'clock shadow? Okay, like I get it. I do, am do on this, I am on the spectrum as all hell out. But seriously, I'm not Sherlock Holmes. Okay, I'm just I'm not. <laughs> I do feel like that has often been our dynamic. It is, and it's like, but it's like it's not as successful, Holmes. It's like. All the homes, but none of the Sherlock. Like it's <laughs> tragic. I mean, you want, you can flip those. I don't think either one is like. Uh, oh yeah, whatever. Pitch the other, but now we also play with the Moriarty Sherlock dynamic a little bit sometimes. The playful banter. I mean, we used to do this thing, friends, where we would, for the kids at my school, cosplay as Doctor Who characters and go on adventures. I was the 14th Doctor, so that means I'm the next one up, baby. I'll be on TV real soon. Woo-woo! <laughs> 14th time is now! Um, but, and John was my master. He was my arch nemesis and played a bunch of other little parts here and there in the thing. And it was really fun. It was, uh, we did that for about five years there. And that was, we were a little crazy with it. I can think looking back on it, I was definitely obsessed with it, but I think it was fun. Did you? I hope you had fun, John. Oh, yeah. It was always a blast. I liked the Dalek especially. That was a lot of fun. That was a great day because, all right, so here's the scene, friends. Okay. I've got these like group of like 20, and I'm not joking, like 20 kids ages 5 to 12 following me around to school in search of a Doctor Who villain. Up to this point, they've only seen John dress up as the master or some other humans like as Time Lords. Nothing really monster-like. We're in this room, the kitchen, right? The kitchen's this side. We're in this room. It's called the Great Room. Let me reset. And the Great Room is huge. It's a great room. And the kitchen's right to the side with these double doors that if you just push them a little bit over a certain latch... You could just push and they'll open up wide. Like there's no, you don't really need that much force. Inside the kitchen is John inside a dialect costume. I'm on the stage with the kids. They're all looking at me. 
Their backs are to the kitchen, which is on the side wall. John bursts through the kitchen doors going, exterminate, exterminate. The kids turn and lose their freaking minds. It was the greatest thing I've ever done. And you could almost say that this might be the greatest thing Bill Murray has ever done. You would be wrong, but you could say that. And that's an argument people have had. And we're going to talk about it here on this podcast here wow. today. Wow. That means I'm going to have to keep the Dalek story yeah! in the podcast. Get in um, there. I, I totally did it. Well, y'all, welcome to Jacob Marley is Dead. Believe it Woo! or not, this isn't our Doctor Who Christmas Carol episode. USA! Um, USA! I got it in! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> oh... Oh boy. This is a this is a podcast where we frighten children in Dalek costumes, but mostly we talk about a Christmas carol. I am your host, John. And I'm his sidekick Jimmy, and darn right we do, John. Darn right. We did it more than once too. We like scared them like a bunch of times. Yes, we do. The yes, ci- we do. The Cybermen costume. We had Oh yeah. You you we you you made that video of like Doctor Doom versus Doctor Who, which that was a great like build of a storyline where he got like the infinity gauntlet. And then when you were the master and you killed the TARDIS that one time and broke my I had like a Doctor Who cane, like with a question mark handle because handle because I'm basic, and I had the he took my cane and broke it on his knee like Bane. This guy, spoilers for DC comic books in 1993, but he broke my cane. <laughs> Oh, what a time. What a time. Yeah. Um, Good luck, well, John. Speaking, speaking of things that frighten children, we're going to be talking about uh, Scrooged, the 1988 Richard Donner directed starring Bill Murray adaptation of A Christmas Carol, um, yeah. which this is our, our second week attempting to record this because my toddler doesn't want to go to sleep at night anymore, which is always fun. It happens. I mean, all kids go through that one way or the other. Either it's easy in the beginning or not. Or Look, I've never been a parent, but I've helped raise a bunch of little kids who are in my family. So I, I kind of get it. I don't totally yeah. get it. Like, I'm not claiming to be a parent. <laughs> I don't totally get it. Okay? I had to, like... I remember the it's first. Okay. I can I can vouch for you, James, as a parent. I can I can vouch for your expertise. I I'm a look. I'm a I'm a I'm a like if there were ranks for uncles, like I'd be like the highest rank yeah. I'd yeah. say. But you like were at least a colonel. Yeah, yeah, certainly. yeah. I mean, captain, captain, uncle, probably like you know, Captain America. I don't care if it's higher rank. I don't know the ranks of the army. I don't care that much. But whatever rank I am, I'm captain. That's there all I go. need. There you go. Captain Uncle Jimmy. Um, Damn right. Yeah, this is a uh, like the most 80s movie ever, I would say. I mean, yeah, this is it. It feels like a lot of different styles of the 80s were coming together in one moment. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even necessarily by the people that originated those styles. It was just stuff that was in the ether right then at that time. And then that all came together for one very exact moment in history. Absolutely. And it it only really perfectly exists in that moment, but it's that moment. 
to a T. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And definitely, I feel like uh, this is going to bring with it a lot of the influence we see in like, kind of fantasy light films of the 90s as well mm. right you're the santa clauses and and um a lot of i feel like there's a lot of tim burton dna in this movie oh oh i mean there's a, and with good reason because one third of the heavy lifting of most tim burton movies is in this yeah all right like i won't say what it is but if you got ears i think you know what's going on with it. Like I think you, yeah, I think yeah. you know who does the heavy lifting. I think, I think that's Burton literally movies. my my first note in this. Actually, I, so did, ditto, ditto. This is significant for us. Is is this only our second modernized adaptation? Is it just this and Ghost of Girlfriends Past that we've covered? I think so. I mean, look, friends, we're we're in the we're in the weeds here on this one. We've done a lot of these now. So if we're forgetting something, please, please, I don't care. So here's the deal, <laughs> like. Yeah, but but it's not only like a modern version; it's very much the novella with a with a modern twist and modern plot. But it's yeah. the structure of the novella, and and Ghosts of Girlfriends Past is that as well. But it's closer to the source material. Uh, Dickens even gets a credit as like suggestions uh, for this. So like it's they and and they yeah. <laughs> it'll be interesting to compare as we kind of go through and talk about it. It'll be, it, I, I think it'll be really interesting to compare the similarities and differences between this and Ghost of Girlfriends Past as a modern comedy, modernized, I should say, comedy take on. And there's Girl. one big one that I can think of, I if I'm not mistaken, one very big one that this one does that Girlfriends didn't do that I, and we can maybe reference it right away. But as soon as it comes up, we got to talk about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well. Uh, I don't know that I have um, much to say about this. It was directed by Richard Donner, R.I.P. in peace. Um, yep. He made us believe a man can fly. Um, he Look at his uh, filmography here. This guy has done a lot of stuff. Superman the movie, Santa Claus the movie, which is one of my personal dirty pleasure favorites. Like that movie makes no sense. Have you seen that one? <laughs> is that the one with the Martians? That is the one where Arthur. Or is that the one with the devil? No, this is the one where, okay, get this. Take the effort that went into Superman, the movie, right? Right. I, it was told to me one time by some reviewer. I think it was movie Bob. Maybe like that crew that did Superman, the movie, with trying to get all that continuity together into one funnel, did that for Santa Claus. Santa Claus, wow. the movie. And up to a point, it's kind of beautiful. Like, it's... Sorry, off topic completely. But it's like, they're doing like this like weird like origin story for Santa Claus. Like, he was destined to become this character. And like, what it means to be Santa Claus. And it's taken with the same reverence of like Superman's first flight in the in Superman, the movie. So it's like... Whoa! And then Jonathan Lithgow just shows up halfway through the movie as a corporate evil toy salesman who's like selling toys full of like like teddy bears full of broken glass and <laughs> and Elf is trying to make like to modernize the shop and he gets kicked out because it goes wrong one time. So Jonathan and him work together and they make Christmas too, where they're gonna sell some crap. It's it's a weird movie. <laughs> so we got the, this is, and that was the thing I think he did right before this. 
Oh wow! He so did he, a Christmas. He's on, a, he's on a run of really weird Christmas movies. Well, he also no, he did no, he didn't direct that one. I wait a minute. Yeah, he didn't direct that one. He uh, produced it. Um, but he did right before this actually. Uh, he did Lethal Weapon. Oh my gosh! So you got Lethal Weapon on one side, this on the other. Jeez. Well, that's going to make this real interesting to talk about. So why don't we? Get to it, James. Let's do it to it. All right. This is Jacob Marley is Dead, and we are talking about 1988's Scrooged. What was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day? And what was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day in the morning? So, uh... My very first note as this movie opens is, oh, hi, Danny Elfman, because this is the most Danny Elfman soundtrack ever. My first note was, hey, John, you know who did the score? Because I do, and I didn't even look it up. It's Danny (laughs) Elfman. Oh, my. Yeah. It's that, like, music that's both Christmassy and ominous somehow. It's, like, I always think, like, they just did Batman Returns set at Christmas because they're, like, Everyone's going to think it's Christmas anyway, right? Yeah, because that, that's Danny Elfman's whole thing. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't want to pigeonhole Danny Elfman, but like honestly, how many like oh, ominous Christmas movies does a guy have to score before that kind of becomes the wheelhouse? I think he's he's I think he's aware of the self-parody he's kind of become, honestly. Like he like I watched this thing about how like you saw the Willy Wonka movie he did, right? And those awful Oompa Loompa songs. Yeah, that he didn't want to do that. He wanted to do one Oompa song per freaking like one theme, like the original one. That was Burton who made him make those mistakes. Like interesting. Danny's just in it kind of for the money. I think at this point, honestly. I actually didn't realize that. I mean, I guess I should have because it's Tim Burton, but I didn't realize that he wrote those songs. Oh, he. Oh, well, the lyrics are from the books, but the music right. was going to be Danny, and it's they're bad after the first one. That whole movie is bad. Moving yeah. on. I don't need yeah. it. Look, we've done not, this. We've had this conversation already on the, on the pod because I hate <laughs> Tim Burton's latter day works and I think they're horrible. But this is back in the 80s when him and Danny Elfman were in their prime. I mean, Elfman's about to do Simpsons work like Batman's oh, yeah. about to come out like this is Beetlejuice like is on the docket like he's about to hit out some themes one right after the other. So this is this is almost him like kind of. Oh, ironing it out right this is his peak this is this is the beginning of his peak because this is as good as anything he else does like this is a solid score that really yeah. sets the tone and does again a lot of the heavy lifting here absolutely For scenes that could be with a certain type of score or no score could really fall flat they're, yeah, they're it definitely up. it definitely does help because I think this movie overall has a a slightly hyper realistic stylized tone right oh yeah it's not quite grounded in reality it comes close a lot of the time but usually it's got that like i think the tim burton thing was definitely the danny elfman for me but also just that like slightly exaggerated everything slightly heightened kind of feel that this has yeah um hints of uh of lying in here fritz lying like it and also I mean, even Tim Burton, to an extent, with some of the work he had done, he had already made Frankenweenie by this point. I'm pretty sure Rich, it hadn't been released yet, but like he would have seen it. And like, sure. like I feel like this was where everything was kind of leading up to at a certain point. And Richard was probably trying to stretch himself a little bit. 
and it's it's impressive. This movie has a style that is all its own, but exactly what it needs to be at this moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we open up actually um, on uh, it kind of like flies into Santa's workshop and we see a a real interesting collection of weird kind of 80s themed elves like there's one that's odd, like like looks like twisted sister like <laughs> with like the big glam rock hair and stuff and then um yeah john say it they're under sort of like they come under some kind of non-specific attack it's not super clear like <laughs> who's attacking them but like rockets are flying and b- machine guns are going off and 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 john this isn't like the first time this has ever happened in the north pole this is not like the North Pole has always been a place of peace and harmony. And yeah. then, oh, no, it's under attack. No, they're packing heat. They are ready yeah. to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the I love that Santa and Mrs. Claus in this, by the way, have like slightly southern accents. Did you notice that? Like just not take, German, just, not Alaskan, not Canadian. <laughs> just like a, a little bit, a little bit by you. It's, it's a choice. It's a choice. Yeah. I, well, I, I think I, given what this is, it makes sense. Well, it's what's trying to say. I mean, there's yeah. some great casting in this movie. All right, we're gonna get to we're gonna get to Scrooge in a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. So, uh, <laughs> um, they're yeah. So they're being attacked by these goons from who knows where like psychos or whatever i think the 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 narration is going to call it in a second and lee majors the six million dollar man shows up just by name they're like oh it's lee majors like santa's happy to see him like if i'm getting this wrong by the way six million dollar man fans please correct me but his name in the show is steve austin right like correct his his name is steve austin so they don't even say it's Steve Austin, the six million dollar man. Like it's not even in the continuity. It's just the actor Lee Majors yeah. is there to save the day. I, I take the Bionicle Man over these guys. I'll take that, but not just the actor with a flamethrower sure, or whatever. Sure. Well, what, what he actually has is the uh, it's the minigun from Predator. Oh, goodness. like I think it's actually I think I read somewhere it's the same prop. I mean that makes sense, but damn, Bobby. Yeah. So basically, he's like rolling in like, it doesn't matter what happens to me as long as you get out safe for Christmas, Santa. And they're like, you've been a real good boy this year, Lee. And like the whole thing. So we we find out is a trailer for some like exploitation film, basically, where Lee Majors is going to like mow down all these psychos. And the movie's called The Night the Reindeer Died. (laughs) And Weird Al was inspired to write a song. Has to be, right? So it's this weird, like, I for a second, John, thought I was weird, watching a weird movie because I've always caught Scrooge like on cable or yeah. like on HBO, like midway through it or really near the beginning. So I turn this on, I'm like, am I watching the proper film here? <laughs> this has a very different opening than, I, like, I don't remember the opening of Scrooge. I'll never forget the opening of Scrooge now after this yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so this uh, then cuts to a different promo and, and we have Robert Goulet uh, basically standing in like a boat kind of using a pole to push it through the bayou while he sings Christmas songs. Um, and at this moment, I was like, OK, are these references like Lee Majors, Robert Goulet, 
Are they going to be so old that people besides you and me are going to not get them, that this movie ages out and isn't funny anymore? And I don't think so. Because regardless of who Robert Goulet is, you get that Robert Goulet in his tuxedo and his voice and his hair are in the bayou on yeah. a Christmas show. That's funny enough. That's timeless. That's timeless. I think, yeah, I think there will be a point where some of the jokes don't like really work anymore because no one knows who Buddy Hackett is or, or you know, like John, the old guy John, who's narrating. Sh- like sh- You can't talk about Hackett yet. He's not on screen yet. Oh, we'll get there. He'll be there in two seconds. So um, what we end up finding out that we're watching is this is a like a, a basically the executives of this TV station playing the promos for like the upcoming season for um, the president of the station, who is Frank Cross, our Ebenezer Scrooge, played by Bill Murray. Um, this setting where this takes place Definitely isn't in Tim Burton's Gotham City, but isn't necessarily not Tim Burton's version of Gotham City. No, this is very much Max Shrek's office, almost. Yeah, like, it's in, very close. Like, Batman Returns, all it's missing is, like, a cat on the wall for some reason. Like, like it's... What the room... it's The room itself is almost there, right? Yeah. It's almost there. But the staging... And the lighting that's about to show up pushes it into a Tim Burton stylized setting. Yeah. yeah. There's also, so Bill Murray plays, um, I mean, anyone who doesn't know this at this point, honestly, Bill Murray is is going to be our Ebenezer Scrooge. His name is Frank Cross. He's the president of this um, station. And Mm -hmm. his desk is like, there's like a like a little board table where all the the nervous executives are sitting watching him and then he's got like a desk at the far end of the table that's elevated about six feet Mm -hmm. which is a very funny visual and he's just watching these promos and they all kind of look at him like "Uh, is this good like what are you thinking well going back to the desk thing for a second that's an old television technique all talk show hosts would have to have the desk bumped up a little bit so they would seem bigger at than the yeah. guests that the celebrities that were coming on it's a very old and now known sh- a television trick but it's the first thing that, that we can indicate that this guy sees everything and sets everything up like a television show i'm about to make like a, a super super nerdy academic reference so all of you who don't care you can tune out um i feel like richard donner may be making a reference to paradise lost where like satan tells all of the demons that um that they're going to be like equal and have a republican government in hell and then like the very next scene he's elevated himself at a seat above everybody else which feels very frank cross to me i don't know i mean that could i mean frank cross is the devil in this i mean he's the the worst character we see i mean with some maybe some exceptions and moments but not by many he's pretty he's pretty awful i would say and we'll we'll get to that here in a minute yeah um and he's at his desk and is now the time when he opens the drawer to look at his face yeah no no that's after they play the scrooge promo Okay, okay okay so he tells them to play the promo for scrooge all right. And so what we get is that this network is going to be putting on a a live filmed performance of Scrooge or A Christmas Carol. Um kind of I mean almost in in the line of like those live Broadway shows that a lot of networks have been doing lately. That's kind right. of the feel I'm getting. But with a mixture of the of the 70s variety show like 
it's got a narrative, right? But right. it has, as we see in this package, like dancers and gimmicks, like the Star Wars holiday special. Yeah. People, like, yeah. It's, it's kind of a hybrid of the two. Yeah, and so it's got these, like, super contemporary, like, really skimpily clad dancers. It's got Mary Lou Retton as <laughs> Tiny Tim doing, like, somersaults. <laughs> it's got, like, a really kind of weird um, uh, celebrity cast, including Buddy Hackett playing himself playing Scrooge in it's, this movie. It's the best. It's a stroke of genius. I don't know if it was written in the script that way or, like, who could we get that yeah. would be down to do this? Yeah. Hack it. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because, like, there's a lot. So, like, Jamie Farr, obviously Mary Lou Retton. Right. There's some old guy who I don't have, like, the the uh, the no. time to look up. But any, like, named celebrity that's referenced in this actually does play themselves in this movie, which is kind of... Um, I feel like that gives it a little bit of street cred. Like it makes all of the the entertainment business jokes land really well. Well, it's making the world our world. And as much yeah. as you can do in something that is supposed to be of the moment or like behind the scenes of something contemporary, right? You've got to do everything you can to make it feel real and lived in. And this definitely feels like 1986, 1987-ish, you know, um, New York and and, yeah, and these totally. and these celebrity references are these are the people that would have done television back then. Hackett would have been probably as good as it's going to get for a, a live Christmas Carol the on on Christmas Eve, which is a big deal here. It's Christmas Eve in this version. That's right. the magic night. That's the and which I I actually like because that is a thing in certain family traditions where Christmas Eve is a bigger deal than Christmas Day. So I like how here it's kind of flipped to a modern interpretation of the holiday and a modern tradition. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Hack it. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, just, after right, back up, he's an amazing, unique. Oh, performer. I love I love Buddy Hackett. And, and he's just given gold here to work with because, and what a joy it must have been to play Scrooge and himself on set and just be a background character. Honestly, like, yeah, it's so good. It's so yeah, funny. it's it's totally unique. It's, it's the to gift it's... that keeps on giving. Like yeah. every time you think it's done, we get one more little joke with him, and it's great. I love it. Ah, um. So yeah, so the this promo plays, and and then. Frank like pulls open this drawer in his desk. There's oh. a little hand mirror, like a little bathroom mirror in there, and he kind of like looks at his own face and then closes it, which I think is another talk show trick that they have that to either motivate themselves or to get just make sure I got nothing on the face. I'm good to go yeah, for the nothing next. Nothing in my teeth. Yeah. Right, and he's he's treating life like a television show, which is All right. Here we go. From this point on, if you don't get the symbolism of this movie, I don't know what to tell you. Because yeah. this movie is all about television and the generation that grew up with television. And here we go. Yeah, it's it's a great way to frame it. So he launches into this kind of speech about how terrible this promo is and how, like, He's going to have to kill all of these executives now. And this is where I'm going to go ahead and roll out my hot take for this, that I think Bill Murray's performance in this is spotty. I think that he has some really genuinely great moments. And then I think he has moments like this scene and many others where 
it's just not polished it's not great and i have a theory about why that is because i actually i was blaming it on bill murray just like phoning this in but i was reading about this a little bit and this is the first movie he did since ghostbusters and wow yeah and he said he felt really rusty coming into this movie he actually sat down with the writers of the script to like rework it a bunch of times before he even said yes to it to it being something that he could do. And then he said that he had a really hard time working with Richard Donner, that Richard Donner like had a different idea of what this character was than Bill Murray and the writers had. Mm. So it seems like Richard Donner was pushing him to give this like really big, loud performance. So all those scenes where he's just like screaming his lines really loud Mm -hmm. and feels like, like he doesn't care whether or not it comes off as authentic i think a lot of that is richard donner pushing him to do that for takes and it's not necessarily the thing he wants to be doing and which is a shame because i think i think that if he had been given a little bit more freedom to play this the way he wanted to it probably i probably wouldn't have the same criticism i'd probably like his performance more well i think those are the moments where it really does shine right where it's where it's not this man-child character yeah i mean it flirts with the man-child character trope a lot in this movie yeah and there are moments where it almost sinks the film like it it puts him on my list of like really hard to redeem scrooges not to bury that lead way too quick no 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 you're completely right but here's the thing though the flip of that is there are moments that will come throughout this movie that are so great that mm-hmm. are such great choices and g- wonderful performance, yeah. right? Like when he shines, he's one of the best Scrooges we ever have seen. Yeah. When he fails, he's one of the worst. So this yeah. is why it's a bit of a coin flip performance. But I do feel that there's way more good and the good is way better than some of the bad stuff that they out they balance each other out. It's a weird thing to see. But you can get through this movie because there is so much good. Yeah, ultimately, I would I would say I agree with you. I do think I put I think I do put some of the weaknesses just based on what I've read in like Richard Donner, just like not really getting what the writers were trying to do with the script. Well, that answers a lot of questions then, because Richard Donner, this sticks out like a sore thumb to me in his filmography. Like this is very much not his style and you go to like the the production staff on this it's a lot of people he does work with before but they definitely are influenced by something in this moment you know and it's different stuff and it's gorgeous but this is very much not his type of movie you know yeah Yeah, it's interesting oh fascinating so yeah anyhow what he does is put on this um uh Oh, well, wait, hold it. Before we even talk about that, we got to talk about the fact that Bobcat Goldthwait is in, in, this, in this movie. Because oh, this is kind of the moment John where he first Newman comes in. cosplaying as Bobcat? Holy <laughs> crap! A little bit, right? When I was you... like, oh, God, this is the role I would be playing in this. John, I swear to you. Okay, I... you can edit this out if you want to, but you in our town. Is it our town or... Um... I thought more uh, inherit the wind. Like that was basically like you know the glasses and, the, the, and the bow tie and but stuff. Yeah. My gosh, I was like, oh my god, it's John Newman. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It was no. I had the same thought. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it would. I would perform it as 
and just uh, elegantly as Bobcat Goldthwait does, but, but and here's the thing his about whole Bobcat, look. Which, well, Bobcat in most roles kind of has like a disheveled, like madman, like a mix between like John Belushi and Weird Al. Like yeah. it's yeah. like a weird combo, right? But he's safe, but he's got an edge to him, right? And this is him completely cleaned up, like well quaffed and good looking. Um, and I'm like, but normally saying someone looks like Bobcat is not a compliment is what I'm getting to. It's like, sure, sure. <laughs> well, there's definitely a reason that he plays this role that we will come to towards the end of our conversation. It's glorious. It's yeah. a yeah. tragic, and, and that is part of it. You have to just walk in with this going, this is kind of absurd and not really happening. And because if you don't, this is insane. What's yeah, about, especially yeah. with what's about to play on the damn screen. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, Bobcat Goldthwait's character is Elliot Loudermilk, and he's like a like a I guess a low level executive of some kind. But he he um he kind of yeah. tries to like be like oh, oh you know like people really like this promo like you know whatever we're it getting, is. And Frank's like, like, no, it sucks. It's terrible. Like, I think we should, like, just keep it going because it's got a good vibe out there. That is either the yeah. best or the worst Bobcat impersonation ever, and I yeah, don't know which one it was. It's a little bit of a combination. I feel like neither of us, <laughs> neither of us should make the attempt. Um, just like this movie. So Cross runs this insane promo for Scrooge that starts off with, like... I mean, this would give Alex Jones a coronary. This is so bleak. <laughs> I don't know. This might be his workout fuel. I can't tell. But oh no, that's what I mean. Like his blood pressure would get so high watching this that his like eyes would pop out of his head. Oh, so it's like acid rain, oh. terrorist attacks, yeah. and it's showing like all this like nightmarish stuff. And then it's like now more than ever we need to know the true meaning of christmas watch scrooge and then it's in like the scrooge and like the big ben hur like life of brian cut out of stone letters. Nothing like no footage from the actual program. No, and it ends. It's like the ending of the LBJ Daisy uh, video. Like, oh yeah, totally. With yeah, like 100%. the mushroom cloud going, like your life depends upon it, or your soul depends upon it. Because at this moment, these are the morals that you need to learn. And he's watching this, and he's like center of like at least nine, if not twelve monitors oh like, yeah 15 i would say probably it's, um, it's an impressive amount and beautifully like they're all built into the wall and aimed at him right yeah and he's just basking in, in the warmth of his creation his light from the screens and everybody is just not having it you know like yeah, yeah. but they so they <laughs> they all end up like leaving the office like taking deep breaths and like looking like they're about to vomit and on the way out um louder milk kind of stands up to him and and is like you can't like you're gonna scare people like you can't play that i mean maybe take out the guy with the gun and all the blood and and stuff and yeah, let's talk about the guy with the gun. I don't think yeah. we have. I don't think we've talked about the guy with the gun enough because that is the exclamation point that puts this over the edge on this thing. It's not even the mushroom cloud is that bad. Like, it's bad. That's bad. But like, there are these two cars driving down the highway. <laughs> One car has who's driving behind the wheel? John, is it an old woman? 
I don't I don't remember. I don't I don't know if so, you see I might just make that connection with what happens later, but somebody is just driving and a guy with a sawed off shotgun just points it right at him and goes and blasts the poor driver away. And your angle that you're looking at this is directly down the barrel. Yeah, right? Yeah. And it's like it's aiming it at you. Who doggies? I still get there. It's still terrifying to look at. It's like that's like the first scene in a movie where somebody shot at the screen. That old, the great bank rob, the great train robbery. Um. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Um. So, <laughs> um, Cross like kind of humors him for a second, and then as he's leaving, he calls over uh, Grace Cooley, played by uh, Alfrey Woodard, who is our Cratchit for this version yeah we kind of have like two cratchits in this. i guess yeah like elliot and grace are sort of like cratchit in combination i mean it's not a, it's and and it's kind of okay because we and it's not like one of them is also fred because we have a fred and we'll get to yeah, the fred yeah so it's a new character but it it's a good ad- addition to like the cratchitness of this yeah yeah so um Alfrey Woodard, who I mean, people may know from like, she's been in a bunch of stuff. I think the the highest profile thing I can think of is Star Trek First Contact. She plays, she's like the woman that Captain Kirk is like following Captain Kirk around. Hey, this is John editing the podcast. Um, Picard, Captain Picard, not Kirk, Picard. Just wanted to, yeah, uh, moving on. Yeah, um, yeah, she's, she's pretty darn good in that, um. She's great I, in this. Yeah, she's she's amazing in this. Oh my god, she is doing so much juggling here from beat to beat, playing opposite. Uh, I almost called him Scrooge. I mean, it's it's Frost, but you know, across, right? Yeah, yeah, cross, Frank cross, cross, cross. It's they knew what they were doing with that name. Um, yeah. So cross. There's a is, there's a joke they do later with it that's pretty funny. Right. So cross is like the, their little banter between the two of them. She has to play like sympathetic but not because she knows how bad of a guy he is and then with what we'll see later on she's amazing in this yeah so basically he tells her to like call security and have louder milk fired and then he he pulls down um like her kid drew like a little like mr and mrs claus and he like rips it down off the wall because the mrs claus has too many fingers and he's like it's crap throw it away i barely let will ferrell get away with that joke I would barely let Will Ferrell get away with yeah, that. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah. That was that was like petty, stupid, no reason to be there. You hadn't established you could have done something a beat earlier on where he likes tidiness. Something somewhere that gives us an end to that. Yeah, this it's is just, too it's strong just him of a beat being, right it's there. just him being a jerk. And he's we've already seen him like fire some guy and like He says it sucks. He shouldn't yeah. have an opinion on it. He should yeah. say no personal things. He doesn't like personal life showing up in the office. No personal things here. And then don't that make makes any, way more sense, actually. With and knowing make no what we know comment. About make no comment about the quality because then you're an asshole, and we don't care about you. Yeah, and and which is a, a problem he's going to have throughout is this performance and the character kind of push things too far, and then like the the movie has to kind of pull him back to a place where we can sort of try to root for him. I mean, um. I mean, it's no Guy Pierce. Trust me. Like this yeah. movie gets there, and it does its job. But damn, it's yeah. Funny. I would say that he, Bill Murray, benefits from the fact that we just watched the Guy Pierce version. Like he's oh, earned yeah. a lot of goodwill because yeah. it's not going to get much worse than that. Um, 
so so grace is helping cross um pick christmas gifts for like people on his contact list and he's kind of picking them based on like their nielsen ratings (laughs) a little bit and also he's only got two options yeah two things he can give out for presents a state-of-the-art vhs player or a towel (laughs) what a scumbag yeah what a scumbag first of all and it's all th- like branded, like the towels are all branded from the TV station too. All right, ICB or whatever the hell it is, it's yeah. freaking oh, hated it. Hated but it. it is. He's kind of picking like he, you know, she'll list off a name and he'll be like, oh, their Nielsen ratings suck. Give him a towel. Like yeah. they're all people, I guess, in the TV game or people who are like on TV, whatever it is, um, including his own brother who <sighs> he gives a towel. Yeah, that still sucks. That's still like, and it's the wrong. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it's like, if he had already had an interaction with his brother, where his brother was pushing Christmas on him a lot. Spoilers for a little bit, kind of, kind of. Uh, later on from now, he would have had like, like, like you know what? You and your Christmas stuff. You know what? You're just getting a towel. You're just getting a towel because you know what? Because that's what you know. I don't care about the holidays. And yeah, I'm you want to give here you go. Yeah. I'm giving. I'm proving a point to you that it doesn't matter. Yeah. At least that's something there to provoke that. He's just being a jerk. Yeah. You're, you're rich. Uh, he give also, your brother a VHS player. He also uh, gives Grace a towel and throws in a hand towel for her bonus, which is pretty pretty bad. She <laughs> doesn't let him get away with that. He gets out as soon as he can, but she's like. You son of, and it's, it's, it's kind of, it's hysterical. It's horrible. It's horrible. I I do like that. Um, you know, he doesn't quite have the same, like, I'm holding your job over your head energy with her. Like it definitely feels like he's very dependent on her. So she knows that she can get away with bad mouthing him a little bit to his face, which is kind of fun. It's a different generation. I mean, it's a different time period. Like, and I think it's the fact that he is that way with everybody that so to survive in that job, she has to be able to give some of it back. I mean, right. could you imagine somebody? Yeah, because like because like a, a, you know, wet blanket like louder milk, you know, is, out is, the too, door. is too weak. He's done. Yeah, she she knows just how to like get the right response most of the time. But right now he's on the middle of a nervous breakdown and right yeah so we flash outside and cross is like watching him with a telescope while he's giving out these gifts louder milk is sitting outside trying to like talk himself into going home and telling his wife that he got fired and i will say there's like a bunch of these little asides where where this character is like wandering around the city going from bad to worse on this one day after getting losing his job and all of it is just so funny it's it's because it's because bob can really commit and yeah. he's like, I'm just going to do the downward spiral as fast as possible in this movie. And each time you see me, I will be just a little bit worse yeah. and a lot worse. And then to the point where I am a completely different character. And which is, it's a real great, like, from what he was saying to get rid of to what happens later. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's kind of like art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, uh my favorite character in the whole movie comes in at this point. Um 
Preston Rhineland, who is, I guess, like a big muckety muck at this station. It's not clear what his job is, if he's like a significant board member or something. Um, but whatever his job is, he kind of is in a position above Cross. Um, this is uh, Robert Mitchum, like oh an older Robert Mitchum coming in to play this role as this like definitely kind of out of touch, like older TV executive. Yeah, I mean, definitely of the time period. I mean, this is the yeah. time when a lot of these networks were being bought up or had already been bought up by like GE or been owned by these companies for years. And they're just high ranking CEOs of different corporations. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny. It's Yeah. Well, and it's funny because you have this kind of like yuppie, like late stage boomer Bill Murray character. And then this older, like definitely greatest generation guy. And this guy is like, Cross clearly doesn't want to talk to him, right. but is sucking up to him like nobody's business about the scrooge thing and basically like all the stuff he had been insulting before with the other executives he's now talking up to this guy like hey like mary lou retton she's gonna do back somersault it's gonna be great right um and and it's i gotta say i don't know why maybe it's shy for you a little bit but just seeing this it was kind of funny i just i really like uh oh yeah that's that's how you talk to the greatest generation hey that's about right yeah 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 <laughs> well this this guy who also like probably can make or break his job um so this character is nuts so he comes in and he's like talking about this study that he read that animals like household pets are watching tv so he's telling frank like we got to get on the ground floor and start making programming for animals which is and you know cross is like okay what are you talking about and then he describes something that i laughed so hard at specifically because of this podcast yeah because he's because <laughs> Oh yeah, John. I was I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I totally remember this, but I didn't put it together until this very moment. So because he's him like Hollywood producer man lives. <laughs> and animals it's are Mitchum, watching. As it turns out, animals are watching television. We gotta get the mice in there. We gotta get the mice in this movie. How can we get the mice in there? Oh, we could have some. Let's think of something. What What, what do they got over in foggy London town? They got mice. Oh, my gosh. So, so if you haven't listened to our episode on Christmas Carol, colon, the movie, um, <laughs> go back and give, give those episodes a listen. Because in those, we kind of speculate on why on earth that movie has these two cartoon <laughs> mice in it. And literally, this guy says, hey, there's a there's a mouse in Scrooge, right? And Bill Murray's like, no, but you know what? I always thought there should be a mouse. And this guy, like, that would be enough for me to be like, this is a little weird. But then this guy's like, no, needs two mice. Two mice. Even better. Double your and, money. Like, double your fun. Is... Double your pleasure. Double the gum. <laughs> there is a... <laughs> significantly non-zero chance that the people who made Christmas Carol Cole in the movie have seen Scrooged, right? Like, come on. There's no At least somebody way. in the production had to. Like, I look, I, I believe it's possible somebody high-ranking didn't see this. Highly unlikely. This was a huge hit or cult movie. Like, it's a very big yeah. cult classic movie. Everybody watches this around the holidays of this generation, right? So... There's no way there, it was not known by the production of that movie, and that had to be the. I'm I'm sure there were like in jokes on like between like animators and stuff like that. I almost said on set for an animated movie. I apologize. Oh, yeah, 
But like, I'm sure there were jokes about it. I'm sure somebody somewhere was like, you know what? I'm gonna put those mice in that movie. <laughs> like typing that up, like, like it, or maybe it was like, we need animals in there. All right, what did they was? Ah, they did that in Scrooge. Okay, we're putting that in here. Like, it's so like unbelievable how on the nose it is that it's this like out of touch executive, and he's like put a couple of mice in Scrooge, but it's for like the cats and dogs to watch. I could not believe it. I was rolling. And here's the funny thing: I remember a joke that's happening later with these mice, right? Kind of forgot completely this guy's character at all, and then when they showed up, I was like. Holy crap! <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> totally, totally. Um, so that guy gets on the elevator, and Bill Murray's like, "Oh my god, I wish I could fire that guy." And then our, I guess, antagonist for this movie comes in. There isn't always often an antagonist in a Christmas Carol, but this one definitely has one. Mm-hmm. In uh, this is Bryce Cummings, played by John Glover. Um, Great actor, by the way. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. John Glover, um, I guess a lot of people would know him recently from uh, Shazam. He's in he's in Shazam. Have oh. You, have you no, seen I have, Shazam? I have not seen Shazam. Stop this podcast. John, go watch Shazam right now. I'll be here waiting. <laughs> All right, I'm going to say something. It's a lot better than most of the Marvel Cinematic movies. It, wow. It's really freaking good. It has staying power. It's like the Goonies, dude. It's Wow. It's the edgiest family comedy adventure I have seen in years. And it doesn't do it by shock value. It gets there on its own. Go everybody. Shazam is one of those movies that will be like a Christmas story where it will be held up and thought about for years. I am dead serious that's the highest praise i've ever heard for shazam i'm not gonna i mean i know people really like it and it's classic it's gonna be a classic it's going so interesting it's gonna outlive it's gonna outlive all the dceu films i'm including wonder woman in that i i'm I'm, that's not i mean that's not necessarily a tall order no but it's like it's it's wonder woman i give credit where credit due wonder woman is very popular and a lot of people love wonder woman and it it achieved something it was it was huge hit so yeah john glover's character bryce cummings is this like schmaltzy like eat or west coast like hollywood executive guy who comes in he's calling everybody babe and it's all like real real cringy and stuff um it's 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 a very much like the new kid on town dynamic like he's he's got everything together just at the right moment when uh bill murray doesn't have his stuff together yeah, and by the way, I'm just going to call him Bill Murray for the rest of this because, come on, <laughs> sure, yeah. And he's, we don't get anything up to a point that lets us know that this guy's our antagonist, but he is technically. We're supposed yeah. to get it in the the details, but it could just be that Bill Murray's a freaking asshole. So yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy's there to put pressure. Like Bill Murray's entire identity is his like professional life as this TV executive, and this guy is there explicitly to put pressure on that and mm-hmm. to make him feel like someone's trying to horn in on his turf. Um. Well, he's trying. I mean, and he's. We'll see, but like this goes into his television lifestyle. Everything is television, right? Like. And a new, this is soap opera. This is soap opera. A new character has been brought in to challenge him. 
And his contract is on the line if he doesn't do well during sweeps. So he could be recast with a new character and new storyline. Everything is television with Bill Murray in this movie. Yeah, yeah. So literally, like, this guy kind of, like, glad hands with him for a little bit and then gets back on the elevator. And he runs to his office screaming for Grace to get info on the guy. There's, like, a lot of yelling in this. Um yeah and she's like i've got to take my kid to the doctor and then there's this scene where he like screams at her about how if if she doesn't work late he can't work late and it's it's rough i don't i think his this is one of the scenes especially where his performance is really like what is happening i don't get what's happening here with this character there's a bill murray movie i've never seen because i've seen enough of the trailers and enough of like certain moments from the film that i say to myself i do not need this bill murray in my life that is the movie, What About Bob? Oh, yeah. Many people love that movie, and God bless them. And I am not trying to take away your love of that movie. But for me, I do not, that is not my Bill Murray. That is not, I am a Ghostbusters, Life Aquatic, St. Vincent Bill Murray guy. I like some, a Bill Murray pulled back just a little bit who can tiptoe into this type of performance but it's kind of like the Han Solo making fun of the situation while going through it. Not this man child. This is Will Ferrell. I, I keep yeah, saying that because yeah. this is a Will Ferrell type of performance and it's not his cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. This would, I'd be interested to see what this movie would look like with a like 2005 Will Ferrell in it. Like, I mean, he was busy making another Christmas classic at the time. That's true. And a better movie, actually. Probably, yeah. Um, <laughs> so he goes into the other room. Because this doesn't super resolve. It just seems like Grace takes her kid to the doctor. Like It doesn't seem like she stays to work late, so I don't get what the point of this scene is. I feel like there was a deleted scene here where like you can't work late tonight. That's why I scheduled this, because you have the humanitarian banquet to go to. Right. Like, there had... Which is believable i mean yeah. richard donner seems like the director based on his other works that films a lot of extra stuff and then trims down trims down trims down so I, yeah and while we're in the middle of this scene who comes by for a visit oh his brother his brother stops yeah. by. so what's happening here is his brother his brother's coming to get him his brother doesn't just hang out in his office on the exercise bike right because that was really confusing to me yeah his brother comes by they're either supposed to hang out or he's inviting him to christmas dinner and it's it's the basic fred thing but he he's very he's like a weaker version of the brother from uh ghost of girlfriends past yeah so that was that's one of the similarities right between these two is that fred has been moved from scrooge's nephew to his brother to kind of accommodate a slightly younger scrooge i guess yeah, I mean, he's in his 30s here somewhere abouts, right? Because we'll get to, we, we get a pretty good idea of date of birth and everything and right. age and stuff like that. Like, we get we get a lot of details about how old this Scrooge is. Um, but yeah, he's he's a, he's a, he's a couple, like five or six years younger. And yeah, yeah, sure. It, it works. I mean, young, I think, young, married, you know. Right, like, is 90s that, guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is, and it is played by John Murray, uh, uh, who is Bill Murray's actual brother. 
Okay, I was wondering, because I know a couple of his brothers are in this, and I was wondering if this was one of them. Yeah, the Murray family kind of uh, goes around from film to film. Uh, Brian Dole Murray will be playing a character coming up in a little bit, um, which is kind of weird considering, but you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, there's there's a sign in Cross's office that you only see in this part. Did you catch it? Uh, hit me with it. So above the window where his brother is like sitting on the exercise bike waiting for him to come out, there's a sign that's it's like a dictionary definition and it's cross a wooden thing you nail people to, <laughs> which I think is very funny because it's like his name and it's just like, it's like, oh, it's like a kind of a blasphemous, you know, Christian thing showing how little he cares about, I guess, yeah. Christmas and, and it's shows also his general attitude towards other human beings. It's a narcissistic thing, though, totally, to also yeah. like try to find a grandeur to your name or your something about your character and be like, well, I am better because of this. And like, I, because do you know who was born on my birthday? And I totally know that because I've totally looked up who's been born on my birthday. Cause I'm a narcissistic <laughs> jerk. <laughs> um, so his brother gives him like a little bit of a hard time about, uh, um, grace and like how loud, how angry he was being with grace. And then they leave and they're like kind of like walking out in the city and and here we get like basically his attitude towards christmas that he's like i love christmas it increases our ad revenue by like 30% all these people are going to be at home making me rich i'm christmas's biggest fan and then when his brother invites him to dinner he's like it's a, this is a crock like this is you know do all your christmas things it's fine this is a thing for kids like this isn't real no one should care about this and here's where if the movie had a little bit more restraint, I think this because this again, yeah. this is very this much is a like, great scene. This is a great scene. If Bill had been just pulled back on the first half of it, just a little bit more. Yeah. And it's still great. It's still a great scene. But like, I love Christmas. It gives me money. And he's kind of mocking him a little bit. Pull that back a little bit and just be a little bit more like, trying to be sincere. But he's not. He's faking it. And yeah. then I, he breaks. Because I think think the stuff where he's like insulting like the jazz band that's out on the street and the thing where he's talking about Christmas being this like crock, like where he rips off the old lady's cab, all of this stuff is like really solid. Like this is kind of like the ballpark of where I want it. But he does have a couple of these like you're saying the man child moments that feel like the thing Richard Donner wanted that isn't necessarily what the movie needed. The Mel Gibson Looney Tunes. (laughs) like if you've seen lethal weapon you know that in a richard donner mel gibson joint they're gonna go full looney tune at one moment or three stooges on the scene and for no reason otherwise that richard donner finds it funny and sometimes it works that racist jerk he pulls it off in those movies but no it doesn't work with bill murray doing it nah um yeah, so he like rips off this old lady's cab and then he goes and gives like the world's least genuine acceptance speech for like some humanitarian award like like for his television work which is nice it it yeah. and it's like it's a it's a funny it's a place th- where like the Bill Murray deadpan really works super well. Well, he's, he's so giving this speech and you can tell how little of a crap he gives about it. And he's in pain as well. Like this is like, he's just going through the motions beat after beat after beat. And this is where, if you go with a psychological breakdown explanation, 
it's all building up to what's about to happen. Like, it's all right. like, what am I doing? What is my life? Where am I going? And who have I become? I'm the villain. Did I want to be the villain? I know what a villain is because I've seen television and watched movies. I know that I'm this villain now and I'm stuck in this role. And it's, and, and we get that because after this ceremony, Bill Murray is going to uh, back to the office. Right. I think to work late. I think he's under the assumption that he's going to work late that night. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I think he, I mean, in the conversation he had earlier with the Robert Mitchum character, the guy's basically like this Scrooge thing is like a big deal. Everything for the rest of our year is riding on this being a success. And he's like, I got it. Like I'm, I'm in control. And it's this like multinational thing. Like they're going to be doing this Scrooge thing. And then there's like, we're going to find out later that he's got people like painting part of the Berlin wall that they're going to be filming live. And like the Pope is going to bless like some entire African nation. It's like a giant mass baptism. It's like this huge international act of like showy goodwill. Can I just say for a second, the jargon in that is so good. Oh yeah. It's very much like network. Like if you, Mm -hmm. if you watch network, and the just the random jargon of what they're going to put on television is very much like this. And it's because it's just parody enough. But you know that something like that has happened when sure. on these specials. Like, these, like, Hands Across America was only a few years before this, people. Like, these, yeah. bi- and Geraldo was either just about to try to get Capone's vault or something like that. Like, there's all these old television gimmicks that were very much of the moment. Yeah, the line also is like in Berlin, such and such is going to paint the wall. And I feel like that's that's one of those references that like no, no one who doesn't have like a at least relatively good knowledge of like late modern American history is going to have any idea what it means. And then I'll be honest, I don't it's know. Very 80s. Yeah, like this is this is. And the wall because well, the Berlin 80s. the Berlin Wall came down in eighty nine, right? Like it's like a year before the wall comes down, right? It, yeah, and it was all building up to it. I mean, but again, it could have stayed up just as easily. It was the people, long sure. with the people. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, so we he goes home we get like a couple little flashes of like what's going on elsewhere so like we see grace getting off like a like an l train and she's bringing her son uh calvin who is our tiny tim home from the doctor and what we learn here is that like calvin hasn't like doesn't speak for some reason and we will find out why later and and the mom has just paid a doctor a substantial amount of money to tell her something that she already knew yeah. Like your problem with your son is he doesn't talk. Well, no crap. Like I yeah, get come on. and and that's that happens to a lot of people who are looking towards, you know, doctors to help them out with these types of deals and they just get, you know, shuffled along the line and it's frustrating and you're out so much money just to go up the ladder maybe a little bit more. Maybe sure. yeah. and it's, maybe get moved towards a specialist or whatever. Ma- but Yeah, and the help that this kid really needs and while that's I think, happening, he's still suffering. Yeah, I think the contrast too of her in her like street clothes getting off like an elevated train and going through this like crappy kind of sketchy looking neighborhood to get home versus like Cross in his 
black tie, white scarf, you know, driving in limos and and cabs. Like you get the economic disparity between the two of them pretty quickly. Um, and yet, we also get sorry, sorry, go ahead. And, and with that though, you get the juxtaposition of the attitudes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He has the world by the cojones, right? He's got everything he wants right now. He just got a, an award, and then he's a miserable. He's a miserable yeah. jerk, right? She's got all this hardship right now, right? And a son who won't speak. And she's joking with him about it and trying right. to bring light and like trying to help him as best she can in this moment and be a good mom. And like yeah. she's doing the best that she can and he's doing the worst that he can. Yeah, because we really don't get a ton of her in this movie. There's like a couple of scenes that give us like a little glimpse of what's going on with her. But I would say the way it's set up is enough that you really sympathize with her and what she's going through without it having to be like a really long Cratchit house sequence. Well, we know the role of a Cratchit in these movies and that and that's something that this movie knows. Right. And we'll get yeah. to that in a second. Um, This is <laughs> sorry. One moment. She is playing opposite such a horrible Scrooge that she doesn't need that much time to get sympathy because we know what she's dealing with. The worse the Scrooge, the more you cheer for a good Cratchit. A good Cratchit can be bumped up to a great Cratchit by an amazing Scrooge. It's like this, you know, thing. very perceptive um we also get uh another shot of elliot here and now he's being like splashed by a cab and drinking booze out of a bottle in a brown paper bag um i don't know if it's clear like i know his wife leaves him at some point but i don't know if that's here or or later i think it was about here or it was just about to be talked about and if we miss it i want to say it now like I th- it was when he was holding his stuff on the steps, right? All right. So he's sitting there on the steps. He's muttering to himself that he has to move out of wherever he's living to a, you know, a slightly, you know, he still has a place to live, you know, but like he's complaining and he's worried and, and then he's here drinking and it's like, oh no, buddy, no. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's really starting to spiral. And I, I will say, I'll give this movie credit that it manages to do this without it being, um, like you don't feel sad necessarily. No. And maybe it's because it's Bobcat Goldthwait giving this performance, but it it remains pretty funny despite how terrible the circumstances he's in are, like going from bad to worse. It's like just slapstick enough or just um satirical enough. I don't know exactly what it is, but I feel it's like the- they managed to do it without you feeling like, "Oh, I shouldn't laugh at that." It's a good woozy effect. It's a good yeah. um like this guy is really sad and pathetic, but it's funny as all hell. It's like Loki yeah. getting beat up. Like, you're always going to laugh at Loki getting beat up. Sure, you know? sure. Of course, he's a villain. Um, <laughs> well, that, I mean, so this has like a really long preamble, this movie. Um, yeah. But that is going to bring us back to Cross in his office, where we're finally going to get some some Christmas Carol up in this business. Yeah. Because he's going to hear a knock at his door. And go over to like figure out who it is, and there's no one there. And then he closes the door, and then he starts hearing like basically these huge booming punches. Mm. And he's trying to say like nobody's in here, like the office is closed. And then he's like fumbling in his drawer for his gun, mm-hmm. which of course he has is like a paranoid like executive yuppie 
has yeah, just a loaded gun in his workplace. Kind of love that actually. Like, of course he have a gun. Of course he would have a gun. Like yeah. that's the it's the eighties. <laughs> yeah. It's the eighties. Do a lot of coke and vote for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Mystery Science Theater. Hobgoblins, check out that episode. Oh yeah. Um, so Jacob Marley comes in, um, or, or our, you know, Jacob Marley equivalent punches down his door. And I really like the design on this for like a different take on Marley compared to like, um, ghosts of girlfriends past where it was literally just Michael Douglas. The end, like there was nothing super ghostly about Michael Douglas's character in that. No, it's, it's, it's really, it's otherworldly. It gets grosser the more the scene goes on which is really awesome and it's it's how yeah. marley scene should go it should There's be just those like really good 80s practical effects like oh. really visceral pacing is great the visuals are great the performance is amazing oh my yeah. gosh he lives through this makeup like yeah. he breathes and he's a corpse <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's like night of the living florida retirees because he comes in in his golf clothes which do you think he died playing golf like do you think he had a heart attack on the golf course and that's what they're trying to says tell us that here? right like he says that at one point like he was on like he was on the green or he was about to putt or something and then heart attack and he so which is like oh god we we live in the afterlife in our clothes Okay, so I'm going to be cosplaying as Doctor Who for the rest of my life if that's the case. So <laughs> well, that my I, always, a- I always feel like I see that as like the if you go to like the punishment afterlife, like hell or whatever, it's like you're kind of trapped in whatever state you were in. Okay, well, okay so here's the thing. Is that – okay, let's talk about that for a second. Completely derail the conversation here. Is that because their souls are still tied to like earthly possessions that that they're still connected with it? Or is – like i mean i think that's kind of the jacob marley thing right like he's chained up with cash boxes and his worldly deeds and like he's got all the clothing that he was buried in but like the vanity of like of like not being able to see something bigger than oneself and achieve like not moving on Yeah, yeah yeah like 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 it's a symbol of being held back to earth and not being able to take the next step. I think that that's probably what it is that you're like kind of caught in this moment instead of being able to be released and move on to something like bigger and better. Like a ghost, um, like like a, like a standard, yeah. like a ghost, Jimmy, like <laughs> a freaking ghost. You dumbass, <laughs> Jesus! How long did that take me to get to? Good. God. Well, because he's not really a ghost. He's like a zombie, <laughs> right? I mean, I guess he is a ghost because it's not like he's actually there, presumably. It's, you say tomato. I said I just made a whole freaking thing about, so what are ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that he's like crusty and like dusty. I like that too. I like, when I was a kid, I always thought this was Johnny Carson. I... <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I always thought it was the, um, you know, in, in Batman 89, the guy, like Joker's boss. That was I the second was, one. I, I, I thought it was that guy. I, I That was number two on the list. But like, it was just, it was funny. And I didn't watch Carson as much as a kid, but like I knew of Carson. Like He's got he, some, like, like a little bit of a Carson look, I guess. A little bit. I mean, maybe just the I, pants. More with the makeup. Like when you see the actor, you're like, oh yeah, okay, oh, I kind of get definitely it. Definitely only with the makeup. Later on, yeah. he looks like, you know, Burt Lancaster or something. Like, um, nah, yeah, there's one Lancaster. point. There's one point where like the back of his skull opens up and a golf ball falls out and then there's like a mouse. Like it's they put the mouse stuff. in. Look, we got to make, we got to make sure we get the cats. 
put three mice in the movie. One could be crawling around in a skull. I'm a genius. I'm going to have to put so much Hollywood music in this one. I guess this is like kind of like the swan song for the Hollywood guy. But, but that's what this is. And that's why a greatest generation person who did not grow up on television, right? But used television, as we'll see, to be a horrible person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, is, is trying to shake this kid who grew up with television to be like, you gotta save your soul, kid. It's not all about yeah. this. There's yeah. there's a real freaking world out there. And he puts the fear of God into him. Something yeah. fierce. We do have to talk about the bang, bang, boom, blammo. Um, which I think is my least favorite thing in this entire movie. I totally... What was this again? The, when Bill Murray is shooting him. So the guy comes through the door and Bill Murray just like unloads with this gun. And the whole time he's shooting, Bill Murray is going, bang, bang. Boom! Blammo! Like, we know this character is supposed to be, like, really super afraid, but this is one of those things that makes me feel like just, this is an actor who is at the top of their game and super just not taking this seriously because they don't have to. There's something there, and I can't believe I'm about to say it, because that's how kids played guns when they were little kids, right? And I'm sure he watched some sure. violent show on television and was playing, I'm going to shoot you just like in... So it's his, like, arrested development? Like, he's... It's arrested development. Interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. That changes my mind a little. I mean, look, it's something. It's, 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 it's more justified than other choices. Yeah. There are other things coming up that I'm like, what the hell is he doing there? Like, yeah. things that you don't think about when you think about this movie. People only right. really think about, like, the last third of this movie. And they forget the crap that's in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of just, like, weird stuff peppered in. Um, So this guy, this is Lou Haywood, who is his former boss and the former president. Like, basically, he took over this guy's job when he died. Mm. And... It's pretty standard Marley stuff. I mean, they do do the gag where he he like drinks and like the liquid comes out of all the bullet holes, which is always a real humdinger. And uh, it's a good visual effect. People know how to make it look good. They make it look great. It, it yeah. works. Yeah. And, and especially even though this... like way more liquid pours out than he actually drinks. Well, <laughs> he does like a shot and like pours half a gallon. There out was a the clog. Floor. There was a clog and that flowed everything else through. OK, sure, you know? sure. Um, but he does, I mean, he does like some of the stuff, even verbatim, like, you know, mankind should have been my business, the common welfare, and then paraphrases a little bit, but yeah, it's suggestion, very like suggestions by eye, direct quotes, yeah. like, and, and, but the, it, it's, this movie acknowledges that it is in this, it, that it is a, it's a Christmas Carol, like the Christmas Carol obviously exists in this and that's the big right. difference. So it's aware of itself. Here. What I think is really funny is that they don't make the choice to have Bill Murray be like, yeah, I know how this works because I've seen A Christmas Carol. Because I get the impression he definitely just has no idea what A Christmas Carol is about. They're just producing this Scrooge thing, which is very funny to me. The idea that he would be like putting all this work into this thing and really not know like the story or any of the beats that are going to happen. I mean, I, I can believe that he hasn't seen it. I hadn't really had that thought till this moment because it's so much in the zeitgeist that it's like, sure. 
it's, it's like not knowing details about Star Wars. Like everybody knows spoilers on Star Wars. I won't go into it, but like, yeah, I guess it's hard to say with him because he is like, like basically his entire identity is like the TV shows he watched. We're gonna find out. He could think it's a crock, like he says. Yeah. Like he could think like this is like the stupidest story, but he he's just he's more taken in by a lot of other shows of like spiritual stuff and like the supernatural later on in the movie than referencing the actual text right um so haywood like basically like slurps him out through the window like it's jello and then drops him into the street as like his final moment which is pretty pretty great fantastic visual effect here i don't know how they did it i don't know if it was a closed set i'm sure it was but like it's so awesome just to see Bill Murray dangling there. Because what he does is he grabs him by the throat, right? And just puts him through the window. And as he's you could he's dangling there, and it's so realistic because it's really happening. In some way, shape, or form, that is really happening right here. And if it's really happening, it'll look and it's done well, it looks amazing. Yeah. I can believe that moment there. And I'm like it was a trip to see that on HD for the first time. Like, cause I've never seen it in theaters and I've always seen it like on a three by four television. So now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, awesome. Yeah. And so he like falls and then he kind of like wakes up in his, like his Eames lounger and his phone is like self dialing someone called Claire Phillips, who we will come to meet later in the film. Yeah. Um, and he like picks up the phone when it when it gets to her voicemail and is just like shouting to her like I've talked to you right now blah, 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 blah. like like really really shaken up by this whole uh, encounter that he's had. I would I mean it's not a horrible choice to have that much energy going into it honestly after falling to your death. I mean, sure, yeah, but it's um there's something a little off by it and. I, I, mean, I feel like you could have had him like pick up the phone and be like Claire and then like hang up the phone. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you could have gotten away with like a little bit of hesitation there. Leave it a little bit mysterious. I would have preferred instead of a phone dialed a yellow pages or something. And he makes the choice. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I, I think I, I, I think him having more choice in the matter, like just being reminded of Claire and then, Oh my God, Claire. Claire, like he dials real fast like right it's not horrible look it's a cool visual that they made the phone dial itself very nicely done but yeah yeah little improvements here and there um so meanwhile we we do get a flash of grace's house where she's drying her hair with her christmas bonus and um we see that she's got a whole bunch of kids she lives with her mom or like or her mom is around a lot one yeah. way or the other there's what um, there's one daughter and three sons i think so yeah i didn't really i didn't keep track because like they're not super important characters no but, but we do it, see that she's got like you know four or five kids it's a cratchit sized family it's a cra- yeah. as my voice cracks for the ninth time it's a crash i've been working at camp friends and it's a lot of talking with kids and using my voice to project through a mask a lot of the time it's superheroes week right now so I'm using this voice a lot too. Oh, I'm a superhero, you know. Oh, <laughs> slowly becoming Hank Hill. Uh, <laughs> God. Um. So, but it's it's a Cratchit size family, and they 
they have a very funny like little dynamic going on and yeah, they all decorate calvin as a christmas tree and she gets mad at them and, and it's not the first time they've done it either it's right like, she knows what's going on as soon as she hears like we do now that's what the yeah. grandma and, and she's like oh no not again god like <laughs> and i and what's wonderful about the performance he's giving there calvin's performance who is played by nicholas phillips what, what Nick is doing there that's really great is, and I don't know who gave this to him or if he came up with himself, he's got this, like, smile pout. Yeah. Like, he's either performing the pout because he knows he's supposed to be like, I'm all sad right now, or I'm having fun, but I'm my arms are hurting. Can we fix this, please? Like Yeah, yeah, one way or the other. Like the tortured little sibling type of trope. Like Totally. They're happy to be in part, in part of the group. But like they're not totally one hundred percent on board with what's going on, right? right. Been there, done that. <laughs> Damn older siblings. Hey, listen. <laughs> yeah, what do you gotta say? They're old sibling. Y'all, y'all come come in there and steal our parents' love. We gotta get back somehow. I can't um, help that I'm so darn cute. <laughs> I'm adorable. Uh, damn it. Well, the next day in Cross's office. <laughs> <laughs> the next that's thing how you man office, child that's how you man child right there yeah truly it turns <laughs> out that his uh scrooge ad gave some old lady a heart attack and she's dead which i gotta say he put that out and then literally gave someone a heart attack that night and it was in the newspaper the next morning like really quick turnaround on these newspapers in new york city in 1988 i mean you would think at that time, the newspapers would probably have more consequential things to put on the front page. Not the post. Fair enough. <laughs> Damn, that was good! Damn it, that was full recovery on anything from earlier. That was amazing! Oh! That, that... I'll ring a little bell for you or something. Oh! Um, and of course, Cross is thrilled about this because it's like amazing publicity and he wants to like run the ad even more and put a disclaimer in front of it. Um, and then he sort of like does like a weird sexy thing with the executive woman who came to tell him. Yeah, there just, was some just... flirtation earlier on in the movie. It's, yeah. it's it never really goes anywhere. It kind of ends. No, it's right a here. trope. It's the woman that's sleeping her way to the top trope. And it's. What's interesting about it is it's a subtle performance, but uh, she, it, what's uh, this? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, she's been in other Richard Donner movies. She plays a recurring sec- uh, recurring uh, therapist character in uh, all the Lethal Weapon movies, trying to, in the first few ones, trying to like let people know how crazy uh, Mel Gibson is. Um, she's playing some interesting stuff here. Like, she doesn't know how Bill Murray's going to react to the news. Right. And she's playing I don't think she's 100% okay with what's going on, but she's playing into it to survive. Yeah, so at least yeah. she's got she some know, she knows that that's She's her, got her something way. going on there. It's more than just like whatever. Like it's there's it's an interesting performance. I really like it. Um so then uh basically he gets called down to the Scrooge set because um, the censors, the TV censors, are really mad that the dancers' outfits are super revealing, which they are. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
it's hard to describe these these outfits i mean are literally almost nothing and then they have like top hats and like weird tuxedo tails it's a it's a strange look definitely not family friendly if you were in vegas at christmas time and this was wow that's like the exact description Yeah. yeah it's the showgirls costume for for some sort of christmas carol sexy dance number it's 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 fine for that setting if that's what you're going in for. It shouldn't be on network television on a Probably live not. broadcast across the globe. Like, and like, what are they doing in the show? We really don't ever see them like interact with the narrative. Well, no, I think that's, yeah, that's the fun. Like, I think the thing that I find funniest about that is just like how out of place it is among other things in this. Like, you never get a super clear idea of what this Scrooge show really looks like or what happens or why there are these dancers and why Mary Lou Retton's doing like front handsprings and stuff. Yeah, um, it's all it's, just that kind of like schmaltzy, like, like you said, like a variety show. And it's got, look, it has, that's funny. That's just funny on its own because if you know anything about them, but the, Buddy Hackett is right there. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. right, like, that's the great part the about it. Like, there's just Buddy Hackett looking there. And then we get to see what I'm assuming is one of Bill Murray's favorite parts of the movie because it looks just like Saturday Night Live, the set, like all over with the crew and everything like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, he seems, this is him having fun at this moment yeah. in the movie. Like, his performance is right where it needs to be up to a point. Like, it's yeah. like perfect tone. Yeah, I would say some of these scenes with with uh, Claire who shows up. So Claire, the woman that he talked to on the phone earlier, comes in. Um, she has a really terrible pet name for him, Lumpy. And we will find out the meaning for that. And it's exactly as dumb as the pet name. Um, it's cute. I, I It's stupid, but it's cute. How many actual pet names are like clever? oh yeah sure like none of them are i think lumpy is just an especially dumb one um fair enough so can we talk about this is karen allen who i mean obviously most people are probably going to know from uh raiders of the lost ark damn right right they are um what do we think about her character in this movie like she really feels like she is just there like she doesn't feel super dynamic to me in any way. I do not believe that she would still have any feelings for Bill Murray's character after 15 years. I just don't believe it. I don't no. buy it at any point in this movie. No. And they are playing. I mean, she's been, it's 15 years. They say she's like way too excited to see him after she chose to break up. Well, okay. We'll talk about that later. No spoilers, but I would have bought now this is a slight change here and we don't this doesn't happen in the movie but if he had been drunk dialing her on Christmases sure and like that's how they still like she knows every holiday and then maybe one year she's he stopped calling finally right sure or some like some sort of like something that happened with Ghost of Girlfriends past was we had seen, like, in this relationship, like, we had seen extra beats that made us care. We don't right. get, like, we don't get any indication and that... And we saw that she was, like, in love with him, and then he chickened out. Right. Right? That was the right. thing that made it really work well in Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, and then you get that brutal scene she, where she wakes up and he's not there. She was fighting for that relationship. Yeah. She was pushing him away. 
But then when we see them in the present, she's mad at him. You know what I mean? And I think that's the thing where this falls apart. Like she comes in way too happy to see him while he's acting like an ass to every other person in the room. And she's acting like she doesn't get why he's acting that way when she definitely knows why he's acting that way. Like the whole thing is just so weird to me. I don't get it. It's a lot of different, like, I mean, look, it's sometimes that happens with people. Sometimes people go and with what we see later, maybe it is this person. Maybe that she's like had a hell of a time these past 15 years. Sure. She's right on the brink and she is because we know she is. And she's looking for a friend in cross here and she's willing to look past what he's about to say, which might be the, if they're going to die, they better go ahead and do it moment of the movie. It's like, yeah, yeah. Y- you're going to do what now? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's nice. like yelling at people to stop hammering and he's, that um, was funny. That yeah. was a funny bit yeah. that just wouldn't stop. Like that was yeah. like, could you please, for the love of God, stop hammering for five minutes? Like, this man with all this power has no control over the crew. <laughs> There's a guy who comes up to him at one point and calls him Lumpy because he hears Karen Allen's character calling him Lumpy. One of my favorite character actors in this movie. Just an actual crew member who got fed some lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. And he's talking about how like they can't find any glue that'll stick the antlers on top of the little <laughs> dormice. And, and here it is, folks. Here's yeah, and then the... he's like, he's like, well, staple them on. It's fine. Like, <laughs> staple them on. Oh my god, what a wonderful, horrible line. Yeah, and and, uh, and she goes, and like you... she gets mad at the crew guy, but not really at Cross, no. which makes no sense to me. Uh, and he, and the and the crew guy has none of it. Yeah, he's, he's like, like I'm not gonna do that. I would never do that. Like. Like he, I'm getting, like he works with the animals. I get the like this is the animal guy. Like he brought yeah. in the mice, <laughs> or he's the clue in antlers to animals guy. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's, I mean, they they kind of have this conversation that like vaguely references their previous relationship. I don't know that it like advances much beyond like she tells him where she's working now. She's working at a at like a homeless shelter. Um, it's which is going to become a thing later on. She's trying. It's trying to be a reunion meet cute. Like it's trying to be. Yeah, that. and it's because it definitely does try to make him seem sympathetic. He's like worried about her because she's not buttoning her coat up and stuff. Like he has a little bit of like a like sort of save the cat, I guess you could say. Well, I feel like their dynamic was that she is kind of loosey goosey. But has, has, is able to control things a little bit, right? And be, yeah. be in charge a little bit. But he was there to like help her, like be motivated in some ways. Like, sure. I mean, I'm I'm just from what I'm gathering from what this movie gives us of their relationship, and we don't get much. Yeah, yeah, we only see like a little bit of it. Um, I mean, more than you usually see. More than of, we normally of, do, most definitely. Yeah, though, yeah. Um, so at this point he, he, he's been yelling at them to stop the hammering and then like the whole set collapses and he's just like, all right, I'm done. I am going to lunch. And then we get this lunch scene. Yes, we do. But before we do that, we are going to take a second to pay our clerk 
So enjoy this ad read, and we'll be right back for that lunch scene. Judge, you have a crown. <laughs> Stop your half a crown, fellow, if you'd think yourself ill-used, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me ill-used if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Tears hmm? only once a year, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. are back so cross um has a lunch with preston the robert mitchum character and um by the way robert mitchum great actor oh yeah like yeah and this is a very funny role for him yeah he's great this this kind of like doddering like older executive uh i guess he's really known for um like uh the original cape fear yeah which Mm -hmm. he's terrifying in that and he actually plays a uh cop in the remake one with uh with De Niro, so it's... oh, does he really? That's I don't think I've ever seen either of them. Whoa, John! I know. <laughs> Reenactment of the Shazam <laughs> subject. Let's go back to it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so he's having this lunch, and basically he's going over like the whole thing we were talking about before with the Berlin Wall and the Pope and all that kind of stuff. And the the tone of this conversation becomes like, um. Uh, don't you feel like you're stretching yourself too thin? I feel like you're taking on too much work. And Bill Murray's like, no, I'm fine. Like, what are you talking about? And then kind of the other shoe drops with that guy, Bryce Cummings, the the Hollywood guy, because that guy comes in and it turns out that Preston has hired him to sort of take over some of the job for um, Cross producing this special well because which feels a little bit like he's saying, I'm like, I think you're going to fail. So I'm bringing in like a ringer. I also think of it as like, I've heard around the office that you've been yelling all the time and you're really looking like you're about to flip your wig. So yeah, like, yeah, I, I believe that somebody would call to headquarters and be like, we need somebody in there just in case right. this guy is going through it right now. Yeah. This and, guy's nuts. and what happens at the lunch, it doesn't help his case because there's all these like supernatural things that keep appearing. Right. So he starts to like panic because he thinks the spirit is about to show up. Right. And then it, like he asks, like, I feel like the waiter or something, if he's the ghost. And then um, he sees an eyeball in his in his uh, like little cocktail um, or his water glass or whatever it is. Um, and meanwhile, the, the, the Bryce Cummings character is like, you know, saying all this like inane stuff like there's no i in team and like all that kind of bs and then um this waiter is like serving a baked alaska at one of the tables and bill mary looks over and the guy's like on fire and no one's reacting this whole scene feels very like um like friday the not friday the 13th uh uh like freddy like like uh nightmare on elm street that's the one thank you I mean, there's a little bit of that there with the... I, I think mean, it's the the music is definitely evoking that a little. I mean, it's of the air. I mean, Freddie was 84, so it's not that old at this point. Yeah. So it's kind of of the moment. And you also... I do like that this movie ha- like takes a lot of like slasher film uh, influence. Well, it's... it's it, This was a ghost story. Yeah. So what's the, what's the ghost story of the 80s? Slasher movies. Right, and it, it it's not a slasher, but it has those vibes in it, and it feels yeah, yeah. 
and you it definitely feel, borrows motifs. If you, you feel that type of terror in this movie, and when, which is good, you you are afraid at certain points in this movie. Which is if a Christmas Carol can make you actually afraid, then it's doing something right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he like gets up and he like like dunks a whole bucket of ice over this waiter who definitely isn't on fire. Um. Great. They make a really tasteless joke about Richard Pryor at this point. <laughs> Which I don't even think people are going to get that joke anymore. And so I think people are going to think it's even like, wh- like, what is he doing here? Like, it's... Yeah, yeah. Should we describe what happened there? Or like... I mean, what do you want to... Like, like Richard Pryor caught on fire. I mean... No, <laughs> no, a, no, a, no, no, a, no, 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 no. Well, well, okay, so... so he, Richard, Richard Pryor, Pryor was a most definitely did get caught on fire. Richard Pryor set himself ablaze and ran down on Hollywood. Like, like, it was, it, <laughs> I didn't want to drag the guy. <laughs> he, dude, the dude did himself on a stand-up special. Like, he, like, I'm not trying to make fun of him. I'm trying to say. It, that there's a reason why it was a thing people would know about because it was a right. freaking insane thing that happened and everybody was aware of it. I, I mean, I don't know. He probably knew Pritchard. I, I, I don't, I don't, re- they worked on Saturday Night Live together. Sure. So like I, they, they, maybe he felt like he could make that joke or maybe it was, or maybe he didn't give a shit. Like, like, Who sorry knows? for cussing. It's. I mean, it's a pretty. It's a pretty funny joke. It's, it's a also funny one of those joke. ones where, like, okay, like, like when I got it, I was like, "Ooh, yeah, like <laughs> that's rough. It's, it's wrong. It's wrong, but it's funny." Um. So outside, he gets in this cab, and the guy immediately starts driving like a total maniac, and like whips this like Yui and takes him back the other direction. Yeah, he does. And uh, we see that the inside of this guy's cab is decorated with like a whole bunch of Christmas tchotchkes, like real, real, uh, real, um uh 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 tacky like christmas lights and stuff Mm -hmm. and the guy's got little pointed ears and the worst set of teeth ever this is the ghost of christmas past played by david johansson and possibly i think this is my favorite of the three spirits most definitely and david gives an amazing performance here david is the former lead singer for the new york dolls which was mm-hmm. one of the first big punk bands of the seventies, yeah. um, which was has an amazing story. Watch some documentaries on it. The documentary punk is a really good retelling of like how quickly the New York Dolls burnt out. Like they were it for a moment, and then they were perceived to have sold out so quickly because they tried to change up and do something weird. It was it's a fascinating watch. So That's this really is like he's he's been like trying to grind it out and become a character actor. I don't know if this was his first big thing, but this is the first big thing I remember seeing him from as a little kid. He's legitimately great in this part. He's it's a, so funny. He's fantastic. He's the, the right tone, the right yeah. delivery. The costuming is amazing. Cause he is like the hyper, like, uh, like, um, sort of caricature of, of the New York cabbie, just like this rude, like, brash cigarette smoking kind of vaguely italian i guess the 1950s 60s new york cabbie like like right before cab taxi driver actually like like the era before that era and which is perfect for the past for for cross's life and he's 
He's completely in on it and owns pretty much every scene he's in, honestly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And which is crazy when you when you think of this guy who like doesn't have a ton of acting background working most of these scenes one on one with Bill Murray and he's the one stealing the scenes. He you know, reveals himself as the ghost of Christmas past. And like, we see he's got like a little kind of like almost like the, the uh, DeLorean, like a little, a little dial in front that shows the years ticking back as he takes Frank back to his childhood home. Well, that's basically off of a meet. You know, if you're getting in a taxi, that was the thing that would, you know, you see in modern day, just digitized. Sure. Uh, the meter. The, yeah. The meter. It's just the meter, but it's a clever use of it and this came out after back to the future so it's all in there like they like right they, yeah. they know a good idea when they see one i love the bit here where they go back to the house and he like the ghost walks through frank's door and then frank tries to follow him and <laughs> runs into the door and the ghost is like ah i love that that's great if there's one thing this movie knows how to do and keeps on doing it it's smacking cross upside the head yeah and we we're, we probably won't even get to the the example of that tonight <laughs> no we won't but oh, oh, oh i can't wait to talk about that oh yeah so um yeah this ghost uh, the ghosts are explicitly like we're told that they are dead like these are the ghosts of people apparently mm-hmm. who existed yeah. um and we get more confirmation of that later on too which is an interesting twist because we didn't we usually that's not the case with a christmas carol yeah um it's not a horrible choice. I mean, I I get oh, it. Oh no, I, I like it. Yeah, yeah I'm into I, it. And he's gr- oh, so damn. So um, so they go into Scrooge's house, and it's like I guess the fifties or sixties, whatever it is. Nineteen fifty-five. Thank you. And um, I take we notes. see a young Frank. <laughs> I probably just called him Scrooge, but F- Frank Cross. We see a young Frank watching like Howdy Doody or something like that mm-hmm. on TV, and we get the impression that he just watches a lot of TV. Um. It, it it was called the babysitter and the cable guy for a reason a whole yeah. generation and this is it this is it yeah. a whole generation was transformed by television and that's what we're watching here and i wish we got more of it we are told more about it which is at least something but i wish we had seen more of it because it's such a great vision it's such a great visual here that we are being told like, this is all this kid does. This is yeah. all this kid is going to do. Yeah. Totally. And his dad walks in played by Brian Murray. And which is weird. I think it's his older brother or family mm-hmm. member playing yeah. him. And it's like, I mean, he looks like a dad. I mean, I will say that yeah. like, he, yeah. he looks great for the role. His mom is there. Uh, she's pregnant obviously with her, with his uh, brother, James. And right. It's the dad drops a package. Who's a yeah? I was going to say we have we should we should say that this is a Scrooge's dad alert. Scrooge's dad alert. Scrooge's dad alert. Right. Um, and another great take on the Scrooge's dad. So this is like the you know greatest generation. Like this guy who just can't tolerate how lazy everyone is these days. Right. Uh- He's a butcher. A very appropriate amount of Scrooge's dad, and also a good take on Scrooge's dad. Again, like you're saying, yeah. like he's a butcher. He walks in, he's a butcher, right? And still got his apron on and everything. Still got his apron on. Probably hasn't washed his hands. This is the second Scrooge's dad that I'm going to compare to Polly from uh, <laughs> from Rocky. <laughs> That's kind of weird. 
in less than two adaptations. This is a theme. And this is the most reserved. Like this is a like it is. It's a little bit over the top, but it's like a solid performance here. Well, yeah, it's heightened in that like childhood fear of like a scary parent. Right, he lords like, over little Scrooge yeah. here. Like he is like cross. He's like he's just towering over him. Great angle here on the shot, and he drops a package at the side of his son watching television. Goes. Merry Christmas. Is it a choo-choo? No, it's veal. <laughs> and it's like, when people wonder about what toxic masculinity is, this is a prime example of it. This is an honest question from a child turned into a joke to make them feel small and to really make them quite like they're, it's so horrible what this kid goes through in this one moment. And clearly it scars cross. Right, yeah. like Cross yeah. is. This goes a long way to making him a more sympathetic character. Right, like it's a, a long way. This scene does a lot of that heavy lifting. Like it's yeah. it's it's one big huge brick in the foundation of caring about this stupid guy, right? And the next brick comes right afterwards when we see his mom, who yeah. is dealing with a father who doesn't say "I love you," just sits on the couch, watches the TV as well. But, like, he's just out of it. And, like... Yeah. He, like, crashes on, like, a separate... Like, he's got a separate plastic-covered couch. It's it's the stereotypical dad's just gonna fall asleep in front of the television dad moment. And it's right. horrible. It's right. sad. It's... Yeah. But she gets up and she's basically like, I'm going out. Um, don't let him watch TV too late. And then she says, like, I love you, Frankie Angel, as she goes out the door. And Bill Murray cries, even though he said he wasn't gonna cry. And you do get like the sense like, wow, like this kid between this bad dad and him losing his mom, which presumably happens. This is this is a recipe for this guy to become uh, like a sociopath. (laughs) Yeah, like we can make the assumption that she passes away either in childbirth or like at some point early on in his life. And then the television and she says him. Yeah. And, yeah. the t- and the tele and she says, "Don't let him watch it, right? Like, or don't watch too much." And yeah. we we get confirmation in the next beat that that's all he done did. Yeah, yeah. He basically spends the next fifteen years watching TV. Um, he like tries to say that he's got all these memories, and the ghost is like, "No, that's Little House on the Prairie. No, that's this other show, right?" So all of his childhood memories are um, just of shows that he watched on TV. Yeah, that is, that is tragic. That is, I mean, if that's, if he's actually believing what he's saying there, which with Murray is kind of hard to tell sometimes with his performance, right? Yeah. Um, It's freaking depressing. And, but that's it. For a lot of kids of that generation, they just were in that, they were just in there watching television and that they were the television generation for a reason. Yeah. And... I keep harping on it because I think it's uh, the that is the root of everything in this movie of what it's coming up to later on. Yeah, totally. Um, So then we kind of flash forward and we get a quote unquote young Frank. uh, (laughs) (laughs) What a freaking rib. Like, come on, this guy, this pushing 40 year old. Is playing 19? 
eat my hat. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. So it's 1968, and he is um he's like a mailroom clerk or something. I got more the, hair than this guy studio. does at this point. Okay, like come on, like. Well, speaking of hair, this wig that he is wearing or the oh extensions my... they put in for him are a war crime. So Bill Murray in this scene, they haven't really doctored his. He's got a pretty receded hairline at this point. And they haven't doctored that at all. They've just given him this like frizzy long. I know rat's da- nest wig. I know Danny Elfman's really doing the score, but did you have to give him the Edward Scissorhands haircut? Like, come on now. <sighs> I mean, yeah, it's it's really bad, and it's funny because this is now the second like modernized version with a young Scrooge who's got like long hair to show you that he's younger. Well, you know, right? They yeah. did that with McConaughey too. I will say McConaughey pulls off twenty thirties way better than Bill Murray does. <laughs> Maybe a little yeah. less. <laughs> Oof. Um, Slander, cut that out. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Put a big bleep on that, and yeah, that just, I got you. And just assume the seventies, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> so that actually be really funny. <laughs> so it's like the sixties, right? So there's this like Mad Men style, like lascivious party going on. There's a girl there that's like photocopying pictures of her butt and handing them out to people. They just got the photocopier and like all technology. As soon as we get something, some new wonderful technology, we find a way to make it porn. Like that's just <laughs> that is that's always what happens. If it can be turned into something porn related, it is. It's the base human urge. Um, it's it's one hundred percent a she, thing. It's, is it, she's the same one that like flirts with him, right? She goes up to him though and tries to break the ice and go out and maybe hook up and right. go out for she, Chinese food. And then he's like, "No, they put cats in that," which is like, oh, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 it's, no, it's no. the nineteen sixties, right? Like. Oh, oh, I believe a 19-year-old in the 1960s would say that. I'm a 34-year-old in the 2020s who don't want to be hearing that. Like, yeah, no, it, no. That, if, that, you're not, if, you're not, if you're not explicitly making a movie that's, like, about the racist ideas. Like, if you're not making Mad Men where we're supposed to be, like, these are terrible people. Like, that's the whole point. Yeah. Maybe cut that out. Um, cut it out. <laughs> so he's like, nah, I got work to do. And then of course, like his older self is watching like, what are you doing? She's right there. Like, <laughs> I got guys. This is one of my favorite Bill Murray moments in the movie <laughs> because I totally believe that's how he would have reacted to it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, come on. Like, he's got like the real, like extreme, like, Bill, like I'm such an idiot. Like, that's really funny. Like that yeah, was yeah. great. Like he's being dragged into the elevator, like oh my god! And um, and then <laughs> I don't know if it's like a it, well, it is. It's the same night because he goes out, right, right, and then he talks about the office party later. So he goes out, and we find out how he met um, Claire and how he got the nickname Lumpy because she like does his head in with like the metal frame of a little like corner store door. I mean, he's just walking down the street and. Bam! And yeah, she nails him. And they both react like they the ghost and Bill, they both react like, oh god dang, that hurt. Like, yeah, wow. Yeah. It's it's really great. It's a great cute meet. It's it's amazing. It's I feel like I'm gonna get Princess Bride on that term. Like I'm using it wrong. It's a meet cute. It's a meet cute. See, I knew yeah, it! Yeah. I knew it! I was saying it wrong. 
Well, the thing you said is like marginally more grammatically correct. Yeah, so I mean, there's not there's nothing like super significant about this. It's a pretty good meat cute, even though he looks like a wet bedraggled rat with his hair. Um, he, he he's auditioning for Batman '89 as the Joker. Yeah, it's it's something. Um, so they do end up going out for Chinese. Like he invites her back to the, um, the office party and she's not really interested, but then he invites her out for Chinese. So even though he wouldn't go with the other girl to eat the alley cats or whatever, he's fine going with Claire because he's going to fall in love with her. Yeah. And he's willing to change or try new things for her. Cause he's in love with her. Right. Exactly. So we see them living together in this like tiny little walk up apartment. It's one um, year later and they're, yeah. they're living together. So they're 20 years old, 21 years old here, like college years type of vibe. And it, right. I will say this, the the setting and the costumes and the music and the, and the Foley work goes a long way to make this feel like that. Yeah, this is a pretty good scene. I buy like they have good chemistry and stuff. It it works for me. Their performances are right for the age. Like everything they're doing here, it's just that they are clearly not of that age. But so yeah, it's kind of yeah. so that's actually kind of cute in this respect because they're so youthful in like they're like being like just cute kids like hanging out. Like it's a cute scene. It's a cute little scene to do these two and yeah. Murray at the window watching it is all smiles yeah and it's genuine and you yeah. know it's genuine because there's i like not... when he gives he gives the ghost a hard time about looking in through the bathroom window when she's in the tub that's a nice moment i will say yeah. that goes a long way for murray here that yeah i mean you could much. read it as you could read it a little possessive too but i i, I had that same thought as well like i was like uh, only i can be seeing that but i think there's like a, there is a level of human decency there. Like he does yeah, care something, about her. Something. I love that he buys her a set of like Ginsu knives and she gets him a Kama Sutra book. And it's like the most seventies thing I could possibly think of. Not really quite gift of the Magi here, but you know, it works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. And like, they're happy together. And this is, this is that, you know, um, this is I that w- moment in ghosts of girlfriends past when Matthew McConaughey is like, you know dating her and not going up to her door a bunch of times to prove that he's into her and not just like trying to hook up yeah it's 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 almost as it's the one scene version of what that is doing and it works yeah and it's you really do fall in love with them here which makes the next scene even more tragic yeah it's tough so we cut to like the most obnoxious children's show ever conceived where there's some guy in a giant dog costume, like a basically like a dog mascot costume mm-hmm. called Frisbee the Dog. And it's all like, like, you know, weird circus music and like, you know, noisemaker sound effects and screaming children and um, uh, like a, like a real schmaltzy weird announcer. And the ghost is in like the stands, like yelling and laughing and having a great time, which is fun. Well, the, 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 the premise is there is a dog Frisbee, right? And the mailman's there. And when he's given the bone, he's just like, what is it? It's a bone. You lucky dog. You. And it's just (laughs) like the enthusiasm and just the volume is so awesome with the gravel and the voice and it's just like you freaking dog <laughs> like it's just it's perfect 
and I get what you're saying about the production design, but this is very accurate to what one of these shows would have been like back then. Oh, sure. I, I think it's intentionally meant to be like like trashy and and cheap and and like well you know what i mean like it's meant to be like like real popcorny entertainment but here's the thing about children's television um i mean sesame street would be around at this point right sesame street was like 68 i believe sure yeah so it's around that t- it's post that time period already so all the other children's show that were around before that were very much like UHF channels that were syndicated and stuff like that. You had some very low budget stuff that was regional, right? But if right. something caught fire, like a Bozo the Clown, right? Which this is what's parodying. Bozo, oh yeah, yeah, totally. Which Bill Murray would have been all about because that's Chicago, right? Like Bozo gets syndicated across the country, but it's a show that costs next to nothing to produce, so it gets noticed and it makes all these people this money and i think that's what's being said here in a subtle way that i think murray is the mastermind behind this show right and has right. put the show together and it's a hit and it's a bozo the clown style hit and that is why he's noticed by the president like this guy can turn a show that costs x amount of dollars into five times that in profit that's somebody that could run a company sure and i and I actually never thought about it till this viewing. I was like, oh, that's why he selected. Because he's making money off of a crap show like this. <laughs> uh, yeah. So basically what happens here, right, is the is Hayward. So the guy who is our Marley, mm-hmm. um, still alive at this point. Who's about to cheat on his wife. Yeah, he's about to cheat on his wife with like some intern. He's been very and... handsy on in all the little scenes we've seen back here. He was back at the office party. He was he made so it's he's creepy the whole way through. Yeah. Which is we we know that about him. Like he was he was like I had all these women. I was I was loved and adored by women. I was powerful and Murray's like in in the early scene the begins like okay, you were powerful, you were rich, you were a genius. But come on, you paid for the women, like, like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, let's you, you be honest to me here. Like, I know, like, um, so yeah. At this point, he's like inviting her out to dinner, and then he's gonna bring, he's gonna bring uh Frank along, who is the person in the dog suit, and uh, you know, he tells Frank to invite Claire too. So Frank tries to invite Claire, who's there, kind of like seeing the show, and she's like, no, we have like plans with friends. We planned this weeks ago, and he's like we can't like this is the president of the network like this is the the chance i have to make this show really serious and like really sell this to him or whatever which i think because the show is such a like nothing it really feels cheap that like this is the thing that he's selling out their relationship for well it's also where his values and morals are it's that she, i mean she's clearly somebody who's maybe not 100% a hippie but hippie like right yeah. Yeah, and she's she w- doesn't want him to be somebody that would give up on their friends for some sort of like corporate gain. You know, that's selling out, and she hasn't sold out yet. And he, she's seeing him sell out, and it's breaking her heart. It's breaking her heart. So, yeah. Um, and basically, she's like, "All right, maybe we need to take some time apart." Yeah, and and he, I feel like he doesn't quite get what she's saying. 
like she's like we should separate and i feel like he thinks she means she'll go to the dinner and he'll go to his dinner and he'll catch up later if he can and she clearly doesn't mean that but that i get the impression that he's like just so clueless at this point no and i get that and i think that's a good choice for this character because he has no social skills the 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 office party showed that right like the fact that he's not able to pick up on that's obvious signal back then right yeah he's not picking up on these signals here and because he can only learn to regret those moments later on that's what hardens him and yeah damn um, and this is going to kind of bring our Ghost of Christmas past to a close. The ghost basically tells him, like, you face it, you never knew what you wanted. And you you have no like you have no idea like where you are. You have no idea what the purpose of life is. You don't know what you want. And then he pieces out. It's glorious. It's, yeah, it's really good. It's the hardest punch I've seen from the Ghost of Christmas past. Like, yeah, the Ghost of Christmas past is usually pretty passive. This I mean, unless it's. More- Unless it's Andy Serkis, who's trying to scare the ever-living crap out of me. Um, sure, yeah, yeah. No, it's really great, and it's right on the nose for where it is. And Murray tries to, like, no-sell. Like, I know who I am. I know where I'm going, and blah, 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 blah. And then it comes out of the sequence, but we'll get to that next time. Yeah, yes, we will. Um, so so we, we kind of wrap up. He's returned, and... Uh, he ends up back on the set mm-hmm. where Buddy Hackett as Scrooge is doing like the breakup scene, right? With the girl in that who's playing Belle. So it's like a really nice, they keep doing this thing where the Scrooge live show practices will parallel like the moment in a Christmas Carol that they're doing. So it's like, it's a kind of like a fun little meta thing for people who know the story really well. And I think it's a subtle commentary on, Buddy Hackett is playing young Scrooge. Oh, yeah. And Bill Murray was just playing young Cross. And neither one was pulling it off at all. (laughs) It's really... That is pretty funny. That's a great joke. That's a great, like, he ain't doing it either. So, and everyone's accepted that in every damn version of the thing. Yeah. Um, And he decides at this point. So is this, this isn't where... um... Wait a minute, how are they going to shoot that? It's live. I don't know. How is young Scrooge, played by Buddy Hackett, going to, as old Scrooge, observe Buddy Hackett? Unless they're filming this part of the flashback? There are more plot holes in this than I thought. Let's get on it. Let's figure this out. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Um, So I don't have in my notes, is this the point where Bryce is sort of starting to take over the show a little bit? What, What? I mean, this is the point where, like... This is where I would normally start watching it on cable. Like, this is when it was like that weird kismic moment of movies that you always start from for some reason yeah, or yeah. around about start it. And yeah, he's here and he's trying to downplay the awkwardness of Bill Murray, but also at the same time undermine him into a way that he can boost himself up. Right. And, uh, he calls for. Uh, are we gonna stop about right there, or what we yeah? Gonna I mean, we're we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this this episode here. But basically, he's going to like Bill Murray's gonna go see Claire. But we will talk about that in our next episode. Um, hey Jim. Hey John. How do you feel about a little casting carols? I am all for it.
all for it. Okay. Well, it's been a minute since we've done this, so just to refresh everybody, um, whenever we do these two-part episodes or have to split a movie in half, rather than doing our normal set of wrap-up questions uh, here in the middle, what we're going to do instead is I'm going to run this random number generator here on my end, and each of these numbers is assigned to one of the major characters in A Christmas Carol, and whatever number comes up, Jimmy and I are going to be making our choice for who we would cast in that role in our own version of A Christmas Carol. So... I'm going to get us rolling here. Oh, Jim, it's a big one. Oh, boy. I have rolled a two. No. We are going to cast Bob Cratchit. Damn it. Okay, Bobby, here we go. All right, let's pause for a moment because we both need to do yeah, this. Yeah, so we're going to take a minute to, to think this through. And when we come back, we will have our answers for you. So enjoy the elevator music. Stick around. Bob, Bob Cratchit, who is Bob Cratchit? Bob, Bob So, uh, this took a little bit more thought and deliberation, I think, than we usually have to do. And, and it only makes sense. We've already cast our Scrooge. And for frame of reference, John, who is your Scrooge? My Scrooge is Robert Downey Jr. And my Scrooge is Paul Giamatti. And you have to take into consideration... I mean, that's, of course, with every character in this, playing off of each other. But it's really crucial what you do with your... Cratchit and your Scrooge. They're together so much in the beginning of it. They have to sell the beginning and ending of the novella if you're going just by the text alone. Like, I, I'm really torn on my two options. I got tied here. I'm going to go with what I think is the right answer. But if you... I'm wondering if we have the same person, actually. I'm wondering about that. This will be interesting. I guess we'll find out. I don't know. Mine's pretty. Mine's pretty out there. I would say. This Mine is, I think was I went, going I, to be, and now I think I've gone with a sa- a little bit of a safer answer because I think my first choice was a little too handsome. Actually, um, okay. My Bob Cratchit. Is Martin Freeman? Oh yeah, that's a great choice. I love I, that. I think Martin. Shoot, dang! Why didn't I think of that, Martin? I thought you were gonna think of him for a second there because I was like, it hit me like a bolt of lightning. Um, he's. The, I mean, that's almost exactly in his wheelhouse, right? It's perfect, and him against Giamatti, like he's like he can play smaller than him, even though they're basically the same height. Did we like switch brains? Because I feel like that's the kind of choice I would make, and I feel the guy like the guy I picked is the kind of choice you would make. Well, I mean, I think what Martin could do here is. The moments that he could sell, I think the other person could do a great job with, but I don't think he would get the same believability out of, is like the sitting down the chair mm-hmm. or the playing the games. Like he can just do it with a little bit more like authority. In a, in he would be like a little bit more tight laced, I feel like. Yeah. Although I'm judging that based off of like Bilbo and like, I guess he, because he was kind of more of like, uh, like, um, I mean, he was on The Office, right? He was like the gym character. 
right and on I the haven't British even office. Seen the office stuff. But yeah. Like, I, so that that's a much less. I mean, it's like more dry British humor, but like it's a much less um, laced up character than he. But has his been playing wit a lot is dry enough, right? And he's yeah. funny, so he he could be cutting some great jokes with Giamani being more on the nose as Scrooge there, because Giamani is like my. I believe that the rest of the characters need to be playing off of him and he like is setting up four jokes, right? Once sure. in a while actually making one. Martin can have lots of jokes at his expense. Sure. Um John, who'd you pick? <sighs> okay. I'm gonna put this out there. It's a little weird, but I think he'd actually be really interesting in this role. Um, I was trying to think of somebody who I think you need a Bob Cratchit who can be like a little bit fun and funny, mm-hmm. but also can bring across kind of like a like a sadness and a seriousness. Mm-hmm. And my Bob Cratchit <laughs> is Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. Wow. I mean, you know, and and a bunch of other stuff. What we do in the shadows and Moana. I guess he was in that too. But I mean, he sung probably the second best, third best. For he sang a really good song in Moana. There's a lot of good (laughs) songs in Moana. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. John, have you seen Moana? Yes, I've seen Moana. All right, we're good then. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I yeah. I don't know why that one came to me, but it was just kind of like a. Oh, I, I like work. it. I think yeah. he's, I think he can be serious when he needs to be. I think it would be. I would be curious to see him do it because I've never seen him go that sincere. Yeah, and that's. I mean, if he can pull off that, if he could do Bob Cratchit, then he's a then he is an Academy Award winning actor because he really has never done anything like that before. And but I could. I could physically buy him as it. I think him carrying Tiny Tim on his shoulder back from the church would be great. I think him and and Robert Downey Jr. and him. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's that's, that's a powerhouse, right? I mean, that's two actors who have like a real comedy edge, kind of thrown into a situation where they have to kind of play things serious. You're working with Mercury here, dude. Like this is some dangerous stuff. Like. <laughs> You got to be careful with it because it could go either which way when you put these all together and I don't want you to get poisoned, but like it's, it's, it's daring. Like I love it, but it is, you are putting a lot of faith in that performer for that role. Like I would need to read. I would need to have him read some lines. (laughs) Sure. Sure. I I was really, I, I will say I was really scraping to figure out like to land on someone who i really liked for it because i could also see i mean i could see flipping it and have him playing like a really interesting jacob marley and having having my um my marley uh uh you mean cratchit no no so having um jeff goldblum is your marley right no, that's your Marley. That's my Marley. It's a good Marley. Uh, Mine was uh, uh, Vision. Um, oh, yeah, Paul. Yes. Paul Why Bettany? is his name escaping? Paul Bettany, thank you. No internet looking. <laughs> yeah. Um, was 
I could see Paul Bettany also being a really good Cratchit. I mean, but no, yes. I kind of like Jermaine Clement. I want it. I want it now. This I, is my Cratchit. I kind of wish I went with my first one a little bit. I, who is it? Our listeners will want to know, and I want to know. I was thinking Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, you know what's you know what's really funny? I thought about him he's, when I was thinking about these before. He's just too young and too good looking. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, Daniel. Ten more years. No, I mean, ten more I th- years. I I think ten more years. I would have maybe gone with him, and he would probably be somewhere where Martin is right now. Yeah. Like in my mind, which is that. I had another name. I'm not going to use him yet, but popped in there. That was like, oh, I know where I'm putting that person later, and it's going to be flipping genius. Uh, <laughs> good, good. Uh, but no, I think Daniel Radcliffe. I oh. might use him later. I'm not going to yeah. say where. He's a good. He's a good choice. There's a specific place where I could. See I him. yeah. I think yeah, we're both yeah. thinking something similar yeah. right now, and it's a good choice for it. Um, but Martin Freeman, I think, I, I think that's a, I think it's it's a solid answer and a little bit of a safe one, but a perfect with the rest of the people I have in my movie. Sure, totally. And I think, man, that is Flight of the Carol. That is that is oh my gosh, that is. <laughs> so where's Brett gonna be in that? Well, see that I you know, you know what's funny? I almost pulled back at the last second to be like make them the charity. I was gonna say that's who it was. They were the charity. But I also, workers. but that feels like stunt casting to me, and I don't want to do any stunt casting. Like I want to cast people who I could genuinely see in the roles and have it be like a really good cast. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not gonna cast. I mean, maybe I will. I, who the hell knows? But like, there's lots of things you could probably have him be. Tiny Tim. <laughs> Bad Jimmy, bad, bad. That's going to be a tricky one. I, I like, don't know who I'm going to cast as Tiny Tim at all. I mean, can we just pull from the sources we've? I watched? feel like I'm, go- can I'm going to be like, um, can I go with like early 2000s Freddie Highmore? <laughs> Haley Joel Osment. No, that might be have to be what it is. Like, can we just agree right now to pick like a a person who was a child star in the time? Since well, this is sort yeah. of a time traveling Christmas Carol, I mean, anyway. I think that has to be what you ha- it has to be, and I know who I, I already know who I'm casting. There. Well, your Mrs. Fezziwig is like dead, so I guess I, we can do whatever we want, right? Oh, John, just wait. I got some. I got some ringers for some roles that are going to be like, really? That's what you're casting as that? Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> well. Everybody, if you think you know who would play the perfect Bob Cratchit, you are welcome to uh, reach out to us and let us know. You can reach us at um, jacobmarleyisdead at gmail.com. You can interact with us um, uh, social media-wise, primarily on Twitter. Um, I'm not on Instagram a ton and Facebook only when absolutely necessary. So um, Twitter right now is the best place to reach us if you have thoughts or feelings or opinions that you want to share. Um, Jimmy, what can people do if they're enjoying the show and they want to um, help us out? They can leave a five star, five star, five star, five star, five star review uh, to help us out with our podcast. Wherever you're listening, there's usually a five star review thing. There is one on iTunes. There's on a lot of different ones. Leave us a five star review. It helps us out in a big way. I don't know how the algorithm works. You don't know how it works. It just works somehow. 
and we need those five stars. So please, if you like what we do, leave that review. Um, we have some thank yous. Thank you, uh, of course, to Ben DeVries for our opening closing interstitial music. Ben! Uh, both of the tracks that we use, uh, really, really excellent. Some of my favorites to listen to. Um, it gives I'm the not podcast... just saying that because it's my podcast. <laughs> no, it gives the podcast a flavor and a soul that is consistent with what we do. And when the two, when those two things merge in media, it's really nice and poetic. And I'm happy that we got it. It's wonderful. Yeah. Thank yeah, that's you. Good stuff. Um, thank you to Milo Newman for our uh, cover art. You can check out uh, his work. There are links in the show notes. If you want to look at his really, really good web comic. Um, wonderful. Artist. And thank you to Zane and the good folks at that's not Canon podcast for continuing to uh, include us in their in their indie podcast collective. Thank you so much <laughs> for yeah. putting up with this guy right here, namely <laughs> me. <laughs> I've never talked to these people one time. <laughs> I don't know who they are. <laughs> oh, heavens. Um, yeah. Next week, uh, join us again because uh, you listeners, who thank you also listeners for listening to our show, um, we'll be catching the next half of Scrooged and revealing what we're doing after that. Um, and until then, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. On Christmas Day in the morning. You can just cut out all that Richard Donner stuff. Uh, it's all right. We'll we'll do whatever. Or leave this in as the outro. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.